Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Father, we praise you for your word tonight, Lord. We thank you because it is said, how can a young man stop sin in his life? It's by obeying your word. I thank you for Psalm 119, Lord. It says, thy word is a lamp unto our feet. Father, I praise you. You've revealed your word. And it's true even from the beginning. And we praise you, Father, because we are like little children tonight. We're your little children. We're like babes and sucklings tonight. We come to you for the milk. And Father, we thank you because those who come to you, you do not cast out. But, Father, those who knock shall find. And I praise you, Father. I praise you, praise you, and praise you again, Father. Because that door has been opened to us. We found you on the other side of the door when we knocked. And when you heard the call of our hearts. Father, now the call of our hearts is that we might understand your word. And we ask you, Father, tonight, by your Holy Spirit, to reveal it to us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to begin tonight because I think this really is the first Bible study. You remember last week we dealt with a bit of the history of Koine Greek and we saw that whereas um, a particular passage in Scripture may have more than one in, uh, application and, uh, and can be applied in many areas of our lives, it only has one interpretation from the Greek, which is very important. And tonight we begin, I think, our first Bible study of this course. I'm just going to read a little passage. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, then be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I'll read that last verse again. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. To me, that's an amazing statement. It is saying that if you firmly and completely believe in Buddha, you are not saved. If you firmly and completely believe in Muhammad, sorry, it's no good. So you're a follower of Karl Marx. It doesn't help you in the future. So you really do believe Mary Baker Eddy was sent of God. I'm sorry, it doesn't help you a bit. Oh, you're following an Indian guru. I'm sorry. The word of God says, for there is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. We're talking about something very solemn and very wonderful tonight. When we talk about the name of Jesus, we must remember that he is God that he is also God's Son. And there is no other name but the name of Jesus, whereby each one of us can be saved. Jesus himself said it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man at all, cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, I am the door. Now the door is the piece of wood, in our case, or the hole in the wall, or the, the piece of wood that you open if you want to get into a particular room. Jesus is the way into salvation, and he's the only door that leads you into eternal life. Why was it necessary that God sent his only son into the world to die for us? Because if we're going to begin a course of uh, study about salvation, it's very important we realize why Jesus himself had to be sent. You know, there have been many good men around, couldn't one of those have been sent? 
Did it, was it absolutely essential that Jesus himself, God's only son, was sent? That's the issue that we've got to deal with tonight. And before we can talk about eternal life, we've got to understand the barrier that exists between God and man. Now, I want you to imagine this. God's on one side, man's on the other, and there's a huge brick wall between them. Now, I've drawn this out to help us. I'll describe it for those people who are listening to the tape, first of all. I've made this wall out of six blocks of rock, and boy, this rock is so hard, there's no tunneling through it. Each one of these blocks by themselves will cut you off from God. Here's man on one side, there's God on the other. The first block at the top are called sin. The next, the penalty of sin. That's the second block. The third, physical birth. The fourth, God's character. The fifth, man's good deeds. And the sixth, temporal life. Now, although I've got six here, and I'll hold it up in case you didn't get that again, unfortunately for you people in the room, you can't stop me. The people listening on tape are able just to press the little stop button and write it down. Sorry about that, but there is the diagram. Sin at the top going right down to temporal life. Now let's consider each one of these. In the next few weeks, I will be taking each stone in turn. Here is the issue. Each one of these stones was so big that man couldn't get over it by himself. In fact, there was not one man born ever that could help you get through one of these bricks, let alone the other blocks and the barrier. Jesus himself and his death is the only way through. Let's take the top one, sin. Now, if you know anything about God, you will know that one thing that is true of God is that he is absolutely righteous. Now, have you ever met a person who is pretty good and you go into the room and you just want to wither up because the person you've just met is so marvellous and you feel so rotten and you go home and you say, oh, my life is just terrible. Can you imagine what it must be like to have to meet absolute righteousness in God? One minute little sin in your life is going to cause you not to want to approach him. The first barrier of sin is so big that without Jesus' help, we'd have never got through it. The next one, the penalty of sin. God is absolute justice. And as absolute justice... If he sees sin, it's essential that that sin is judged, and more than that, the penalty has to be paid in full. Now, the wages of sin, we know from the Bible, is death. So do you see, if you've sinned, not only does that sin cut you off from God, because he's absolutely righteous, but the penalty of the sin is going to cut you off, because the wages of sin is death. Now, if I could just leave it there, that's enough of a barrier, but we haven't finished yet. Next one, physical birth. I'm going to describe this later on when we deal with regeneration. But basically, it says this. Man is born physically alive, but spiritually dead. And God is a spirit. In fact, it says he wants those to worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. You can only communicate with God through your spirit. Now, if the moment you're, you're born, you're spiritually dead, it's a barrier because you can never communicate with God, who is a spirit. Dear. Well, that's the third one. Um, I hope I'm not depressing you, because Jesus solved all of these. Next one, God's character. Before you can have fellowship with God, every single part of God's character has got to be satisfied with you. <laughs> that immediately cuts most of us out here, doesn't it? What a barrier that will be. Each one of these is so huge, it's bigger than Everest, as far as we're concerned. And we have no mountaineering boots either to help us get up. We're stuck on one side of the barrier without Jesus. Next one, man's good deeds. Now, a good deed, yes, it's pretty good. But I'm afraid it's not good enough. Because, you see, uh, God the Father is absolute righteousness. He's absolute good. What does that mean? It means that you come along with your little bit of good, and I'm afraid it doesn't match up to his bit of good. And funnily enough, if you tried to get over this barrier, the only way you could do it was by being good. And Isaiah says that your good deeds are as filthy rags. So the more good you do, 
the more you stay on that side of the barrier. I'm sorry, that's a vicious circle, isn't it? You just can't get over. Next one, temporal life. God is eternal life. But there's one sure fact about every person in this room. You're going to die. If you're a Christian, you should have no fear of death. I think most uh, Christians who um, are slightly afraid of death are not afraid of death itself. They're afraid of how they're going to die. God will look after you throughout the whole of your lifespan, throughout the moment of death, and right on beyond death. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's only a shadow. You don't have to be afraid of the shadow of a dog or the shadow of a gun, and you don't have to be afraid of the shadow of death, because it's not the real thing. Ever heard of anyone being murdered by the shadow of a bullet? Never. The real bullet does you harm, but not the shadow of it. And so with us, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, there's the barrier. Jesus was the only one. Millions of years ago, God knew that this barrier would exist. And when God looked at it, and when he looked at you, he said, oh dear, they're stuck. On the other side, on the wrong side of this barrier, the people that I love so much are stuck. And I want them over the other side. How can I do it? And he got a plan. The name of the plan was salvation. And it needed the help of God the Son. And Jesus must have been approached, they probably, I'm putting it in human terms, you understand, and Jesus was willing to carry that plan through. In the next few weeks, I'm going to tell you how each stone was removed by Jesus. How sin was removed, how the penalty of sin was removed. Physical birth was dealt with, God's character was satisfied, man's good deeds were judged and got rid of. And temporal life was turned into eternal life for all believers. Jesus is the only man, and he was God too, the only man who was able to get us through that particular barrier. Now there's the barrier. All of the next few Bible studies are going to be developing this theme. This is not evangelistic tonight. What is it though? It's providing us with information that we might understand our salvation much more fully than we've ever done before. And the result of that will be greater rest inside and a greater ability to witness to others about Jesus. You'll be able to answer their problems. When you meet someone who really feels they're not good enough for God, you'll be able to say, Amen, you're not. And you'll be able to tell them the difference, that Jesus came and he judged them good enough because he took their sin on the cross. We're going to deal with each one of these. But I want to, first of all, take a step backwards. How did sin come in in the first place? That's the question that we've got to ask ourselves, and it's an important one. I want you to turn for this night, this evening's Bible study, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I love that word in uh, Psalm 119, where it says, Thy word is true from the beginning. And the word in Hebrew for beginning is the word we translate as Genesis. So his word is true from Genesis. Uh, many people say Genesis is myth. Uh, I think they've misunderstood somewhere. <laughs> I'm not sure. Genesis chapter 3. We'll be finding that in Genesis chapter 3, we not only have the reason why the barrier came in in the first place, we also, in the same chapter, have the answer to the barrier. And when we come on next week or the week after to talk about the virgin birth, it will have its roots in Genesis chapter 3. Amazingly. Let's begin. Now this is the story, of course, set in the Garden of Eden. We have a wonderful married couple here, very spiritual married couple, Adam and Eve. They're so spiritual actually, they have constant fellowship with Jesus all the time. Actually, constant means all the time, doesn't it? They have constant <laughs> fellowship. By the way, some people have tried to look for the Garden of Eden. You often get Americans especially going out trying to search for the Garden of Eden. Um, obviously, if you believe in the flood, you won't waste your time. Because the flood came along, and any geographer knows full well that if a place is flooded for 40 days to a year, its whole geography is going to be so changed it will be unrecognizable afterwards. So the rivers, two of the rivers have names that we recognize. Well, that has nothing at all to do with the matter. The Garden of Eden was undoubtedly swept away in the flood. And wherever it was, and there's reason to think it was in the Middle East somewhere, perhaps in Mesopotamia, it certainly didn't look like it does today. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, let's stop there just for a moment. Who, who is the serpent? What is the serpent? At the moment we think of a serpent, we think of a black, slimy object moving across the ground. It, in fact, it is likely that this serpent looked absolutely nothing like the serpents we have today. Nothing like it at all. Actually, the word serpent in Hebrew is the word nakash. N-A-C-H-A-S-H. Nakash. And it means brilliant. Brilliant. Now, it might have been brilliant for two reasons. This is all surmising. It might have been brilliant because it had very shiny scales which reflected the sunlight. And so it sparkled. That's really what it means. Means sparkling, brilliant. Some people translate it as brass, and sparkling brass. And here was this creature, and it says was more subtle. Now the word subtle does mean crafty, but it also means beautiful. This serpent was not a bit like the animal we see today. It was a beautiful creature. It was so beautiful that Eve probably had it as a pet or something like that. She thought this serpent was fantastic. Adam and Eve themselves were probably clothed with light at this time. Now you can imagine Adam and Eve just glowing. Jesus, by the way, when he was transfigured, he, he was glowing. Do you remember that? His whole face, even his raiment, was glowing. I believe our resurrection bodies are going to glow. God, you see, is clothed in light, and Adam and Eve were made in his image. They were clothed with light, they were glowing. No wonder Eve had the serpent as her pet. She was glowing, so was it glowing. Marvellous. Rather like uh, some women have cats today, because they can identify as nice and soft and cuddly. This particular animal perhaps wasn't soft and cuddly, but it glowed just like Eve herself. This was a, a marvellous pet that she had, probably. But it was crafty. So, and it comes along, and it says, which the Lord God had made. Now, the Lord God are, it, it is made up, it's a, a a phrase made up of two Hebrew words, Jehovah Elohim. Jehovah Elohim. The word God, when it's used in Genesis, is the word Elohim. The word Lord God is Jehovah Elohim. Now you might say, well, so what? But it's very important. Because Jehovah Elohim here is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. God the Father never appeared to any man. We know that because the scriptures tell us no man has at any time seen God. Yet you will find references in the Old Testament of God appearing to various people. He appeared to Abraham. And Abraham said, we've seen God, we shall surely die. Yes, but they hadn't seen God the Father. The revealed member of the Godhead is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's referred to as God as an angel, the angel of the Lord, often. And in, for example, Zechariah, he appears as the angel of the Lord. In Joshua and Judges, we hear of him as the commander of the Lord's hosts, and so on. The person who is revealed as God and walking on the earth is Jesus Christ himself, the revealed member of the Godhead. Also, it says in Colossians 1.16, that all things were created through him, Jesus, everything was created through Jesus. Now you read this, and you'll find that very often the Lord God created, the Lord God formed particular things. Let's have a look um, in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God, Jesus Christ, was in charge of Adam and Eve. He was communicating with them. He, they were in fellowship with him. He walked on the earth in the Garden of Eden. He talked with them. They communed with him. Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God... Now this is very important. It's important because nowhere in the Bible does it say, Believe on God the Father and thou shalt be saved. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, Believe on the Holy Spirit and thou shalt be saved. But it does say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Jesus is the only way through to the Father. Why? Because he was the only member of the Godhead to shed blood for our sins. 
and the term Jehovah Elohim has the blood of Jesus right at the core. He's the covenant God. The Lord God was the covenant God, and a covenant was always made with blood. If ever you meet a religious person who is not born again, they will talk about God. They'll talk until the cows come home about God. Mention Jesus, and a look of embarrassment comes across their face. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And here we have the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He speaks to Adam and Eve. Verse 16, Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayst freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam did not have sin within him, but he had one thing, free will. Adam was given free will. He could either choose for God, or he could choose against God. And the object on which his free will was tested was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. There it was. And notice the words of the Lord. He says, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. Why? For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. I would like uh, to give you the literal translation of the last phrase, thou shalt surely die. Uh, most of you will probably have this in the margins of your Bible, but the literal translation is, Dying, thou shalt die. The Young's literal translation gives that too. Instead of thou shalt surely die, it's literally dying, thou shalt die. What was he saying? He's saying the moment you eat of that tree, you will die spiritually. And because you die spiritually, you are going to die physically. Because the wages of sin is death. That's what God is saying. The Lord Jesus said, if you eat of that tree, you will die spiritually with the result that you will die physically later on. Dying, thou shalt surely die. Now there's the important thing. By the way, most believers have no idea that Jesus died twice on the cross. They know he died physically, but he also died spiritually. What is spiritual death? Spiritual death is being cut off from God. For three hours on the cross, Jesus hung in complete and utter darkness. It was such a terrible sight that God would not allow men to gaze upon him. For the first three hours of the cross, there was light. Jesus was dying as a burnt offering. The burnt offering was acceptable to God. It was a pleasing odor to him. God loved the burnt offering. But for the last three hours, Jesus died as the sin and trespass offering on the cross. In the last three hours, God the Father, through God the Holy Spirit, put the sins of every person in this room onto Jesus on that cross. And wherever God sees sin, he has to move away. For three hours, Jesus was cut off from his Father and cut off from the Holy Spirit. And he hung there bearing the sins of the whole world in his own person on the tree. No wonder he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My God, the Father, my God, the Holy Spirit, why hast thou forsaken me? Who was the third Godhead, member of the Godhead? He was. He was on the cross. He couldn't desert himself. My God, the Father, my God, the Holy Spirit, why hast thou deserted me? The answer is because the sins of the whole world were put on Jesus. For three hours he died spiritually on that cross. He was cut off from God, that you might never be cut off from God. There is no person in this room who is bad enough or evil enough to ever for one second be cut off from God unless he chooses to do so. Jesus was cut off instead of you. That's why you can enjoy fellowship every single moment of the day. It's entirely up to you whether you do. It's an amazing and wonderful thing. Now the moment his job was done, the easy part came, his physical death. That was easy. And he said, Lord, in the Father, into thy hands I did dismiss my spirit. He just dismissed his spirit, and he died. And that was the end. The same is true of every person here. You will not die if you are a believer until your job is finished. Jesus died because he had 
completed salvation for every man. What were his words? It is finished. It's completed. It's all sewn up. I've done it. There's nothing more to do. It's finished. The moment it was finished, off he went. Back to be with his father. He dismissed his spirit to his father. His soul went down into the, into the unseen place, or into hell as it's wrongly translated, of course, often in the Bible. And his body was put in the tomb. So he was split into those three directions. His spirit to his father, his soul into hell, and his body into the tomb. Marvelous. His job was done. Listen, if you hear of someone in the body dying tomorrow morning, yes, you'll miss them. But praise God, because their job is finished. You, if you stay in fellowship, will not die one second before God wants you to die. If I die in the morning, I can praise God, because my job's finished. You might not think my job's finished, but God does think my job's finished. And the result? I die. There's always marvellous, marvellous, marvellous rejoicing on the death of a believer. So marvellous. Now, back to chapter 3. Now, here's the serpent. He's talking to Eve. Now, whether the serpent talked or not, we don't know. It was probably a, a demon inside the serpent who was beguiling, which means, of course, deceiving Eve. He was having a little chat in her ear. You know, the type of chat he has in your ear, occasionally, saying, you're too bad to be saved. You're not really saved. Jesus doesn't really love you. Guess what? It may not look like a serpent, but he's sitting there right on your shoulder. Praise God, we've all got the helmet of salvation on, which covers even our ears so that it can't get through. Now, what's the first thing he does? And he said unto the woman, Yay. Now, I never trust a person who begins a conversation with yes. If you're talking to a person and they begin the conversation with yes, it normally means they haven't been listening to what you've been saying. And if they have been listening, they disagree. And you put your side and they say, yes, but... Do you see? I never trust it. And Satan starts, yes, yes. Hath God said... I'll read that again. Hath God said... No, God hasn't said. Who had said it? The Lord God had said it. Jesus Christ had said it. The Lord God. Do you see what Satan had done? He cut out the blood of Jesus immediately. Oh yes, many people will talk about God. They will believe in God until the cows come home. But unless the blood of Jesus is right in the center, there is no salvation. For, as Hebrews 9.22 says, For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin whatsoever. Did Buddha ever shed his blood for your sin? Never. Did Muhammad? Never. Did uh, Mary Baferedi? Never. Has anyone ever? No. Except Jesus. Yes. And here we get Satan cutting out the blood of Jesus. Religion always cuts out the need of the blood of Jesus. They think it's vulgar. And it is vulgar. If you had ever gone into the temple in the Old Testament days, there was blood everywhere. It was caked with blood. The high priest used to come out, and he was caked from head to toe with blood. Blood is essential. Our salvation depends on blood. Right, he's cut out the blood. Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman immediately falls into the trap. And the woman said unto the servant, serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God... Oh, she's dropped the law of God. She now has accepted the idea from Satan, and she's banking on it now. You know, it's, it's no sin to hear something from Satan. But when you bank on it, it is, it gets pretty tricky then. We must dismiss him and resist him. But she doesn't. No, she's going to have a, a talk with him. She's going to reason it through. God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The first thing is, she's fallen into the trap, she's cut out the blood immediately. She's now talking about Elohim. Not Jehovah Elohim, the Lord God, oh no. And notice what she's done. Let's read it again. Have you noticed it? Yea, uh, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. God didn't say that. The Lord God didn't say that. He never mentioned touching it. Not at all. You check up. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, dying, thou shalt die. 
Oh, what's she done? She's added something to it now. Oh, yes, we mustn't eat it, and we mustn't even touch it. That's religion. Religion always adds something to the truth. Always. You see, it, uh, religion always puts emphasis on the outer show, not the inner show. And here, she couldn't just eat it, which would affect her spiritually. She couldn't even touch it. She mustn't be seen anywhere near it. You see? That's right. Just like people who talk about drinking. You can always get your bottom dollar that when they start talking about that passage in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. Behold, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And immediately the old booze sermon comes out, you know, how terrible drink is and all the rest, you see. But notice what it says, eating. Oh. <laughs> drinking, yes. Marrying. Giving in marriage. Oh no, they forget the other three. They just talk about drinking. In fact, the Word of God says, of course, the more responsibility you have in the Lord, the less you should drink. Yeah, that's what it says. But, oh no, but total abstinence. It may have the outer show of spirituality, but I'm afraid it doesn't have the inner show at all. Poor old Timothy was actually told to drink a little wine. Oh dear, he'd never been accepted in most religious circles that we know nowadays. And who told him? Paul. <laughs> and don't you believe it? They say it was non-alcoholic. That's rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Do you see? The outer show is a religious man. The inner show is the Lord inside of you. And it's very important to get it right. Now, all of a sudden, Eve not only gives in to religion by dismissing the blood of Jesus, she then comes along and mustn't even touch it. Oh, no. Verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. You're not going to die. You mean you're going to eat that thing and drop dead? No. <laughs> what rubbish? It's not what God said. God said, dying spiritually, you will die physically. The serpent said, of course, you, t you can't possibly believe that. What? That doesn't make sense, does it? And the woman must have thought, no, that doesn't make sense. Of course not. God's a God of love. He wouldn't want to kill me. No, that's right. And he's in. And he goes on. For God, notice, not Lord God yet, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, if ever there was a trick, this is the worst one. He's saying, you see, God's jealous of you, Eve. He's proud, so proud, he doesn't want you to be like him. And he says... Don't eat of that, because he knows the day you eat of it, you're going to be just like he is. And he doesn't want that. Now, this is blasphemy of the first order. And she falls straight into the trap. Now, it says she shall be as gods. It's not gods, it's God. Capital G-O-D. It's Elohim again. Elohim. Which is plural word, by the way, Elohim. God the Father, God the, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three of them... Translated God, but it's a plural word. Any word in Hebrew that ends in I am is plural. Elohim, God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Amen. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Wonderful. Yes. Holy, holy, holy. One for each. Knowing good and evil. Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired. This tree now wasn't just a tree. It was the tree. The only tree that she wanted now to go up and gaze at and touch and eat from. Now she had every other type of tree in the garden. By the way, it wasn't an apple tree. It wasn't an apple tree. Even her apple is an old wife's tale. It's fruit. We don't know what type of tree it was. Maybe a pomegranate, might have been tangerine, orange, banana. It might have been any type of tree at all. That's not the issue. The important thing is what that tree signified. Now then, she comes along and she really wants this. And why did she want it? A tree to be desired to make one wise. She wanted to be wise now. You see? Not good enough to trust God now. Oh no. She had to be wise. And that was her desire. What did she do? She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Now then, what would happen when she... She ate of that tree. One thing would happen immediately. Her clothing of light would vanish away completely. Satan had beguiled her and deceived her 
to, into contradicting the word of God as it was spoken. And the result would be that that moment she fell from grace, she was cut off spiritually, she died at that very moment. God had said it, dying thou shalt die. Immediately she started aging and her death was then just a matter of course. Spiritually she died and she lost that outer covering. Now it's interesting, the Bible never says Eve sinned. It says Eve was deceived. But it says, Adam sinned. Now, I want you to imagine this next statement. Here it is. And did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her. Now, you can imagine Adam. He suddenly comes back to that part of the Garden of Eden. And Eve's different. He can't quite put his finger on how she's different yet. But suddenly he realizes she's not glowing anymore. That's funny. What happened? Eve, you look different. He's still glowing. He's still in fellowship with God. God is still an open channel. Eve cut off. And at that very moment, he must have made the decision. It was either going to be fellowship with God, or it was going to be fellowship with Eve. He deliberately and absolutely premeditatedly took of the fruit and ate of the fruit of the tree. That's why it said, Adam sinned. Adam's sin was deliberate. The serpent didn't talk to Adam. No, sir. He deceived Eve. But Adam sinned. You'll notice that Adam receives the whole brunt of the blame for everything. He deliberately and absolutely chose to sin so that he could have fellowship with his fallen wife. Now, that's the story. And it's tragic. At that very moment, sin entered into Adam and Eve. And here's the tragedy of it. The old sin nature was born in them both. And every person in this room knows that this is true. Because you too have an old sin nature. Adam not only got it for himself, he got it for all of us. You tonight are sitting here with an old sin nature inside of you. Yes, that's why this sin up the top here is such a terrible stone and such a terrible barrier. The moment a child is born, before he's committed a sin, he's a sinner. Why? Because he has the old sin nature. The old sin nature is passed on through the father, from father to son and daughter, through father to son and daughter. The father transmits the old sin nature to every single one of his children. Therefore, whenever a child is born, they are born a sinner. And here's the good news. Jesus died for the children that haven't yet been born. Jesus has taken complete care of the old sin nature. Adam let it in, Jesus let it out again. Praise God. Each one of us here still has an old sin nature, and until we're raptured or we die, our old sin nature will be with us. In our resurrection body, you will be pleased to hear there is no old sin nature. Hallelujah. Fantastic. Now, what happened? And the eyes, this is verse 7, and the eyes of them both were opened. They were opened. Suddenly, they saw themselves as they really were. And they knew that they were naked. Before, they hadn't been wearing any clothes, but they weren't naked. What were they wearing before? Light. All of a sudden, they knew then that they were naked. God didn't want them to know that. He didn't want them to know the difference between good and evil. All he wanted to, them to know was him. He wanted communication, fellowship with him. Oh, now they knew the difference between good and evil. And there was no answer. Now, and they knew that they were naked, and being a religious sort of people, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, these are not aprons, they're loincloths. Loincloths. <coughs> this is religion. This is the first case of religion in the Bible. Right? This is man trying to get his own salvation. Now, the word sew there doesn't mean they got a needle and thread and started, you know, sewing. The thing I'm so used to is that. No. It means to bring two things together and to join them. They probably um, just looped them together. They tied a knot in the stems. And they made a loincloth for themselves. Did that cover their nakedness? No. Could that cover their sin? No. But they were pretty happy with it. It's religion. It's the first case of religion. Religion is man trying to cover his own sin. 
That's why we have modernists today who say what? Live a good life and you'll be all right. Doesn't matter what you believe, believe what you will, but you live a good life. Do plenty of good deeds, and the more good deeds you do, the more sure you'll be of getting to heaven. The Word of God says even your good deeds are as filthy rags to God. They don't understand absolute righteousness. And legalism, which is what this is, man trying to earn his own salvation, is opposed to grace. Grace is undeserved. Grace says you don't do anything to deserve it. God gives it to you. Religion says, no, God doesn't give you everything. You have to earn it yourself. And there's the difference. And they're opposed, and God hates religion. You cannot save yourself here. If you could, Jesus would never have died. You see, Jesus died in utter agony on the cross. When he said it's finished, he meant it. He meant you don't have to do anything to add to the salvation that I've got for you. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and go about doing good deeds and give a tenth of your income every week to the poor, and give all your income every third year to the poor, and then perhaps you might squeeze through. Join this church, sign that role, make sure you're this, make sure you're that, make sure you do this. No, that's religion. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. It's the gift of God. The gift. Grace is the absence of works. If you are receiving something by grace, you cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. And here they were, they knew they were naked. First thing they did, they started making themselves a covering. An atonement with fig leaves. How long do you think a fig leaf would last? Hmm? In the best climate, it probably would have withered in about a week. Not much good, this salvation. You know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and it will last for a week. No. Useless. Now then, there's religion. The next verse, grace. They were now cut off from God. If God leaves them, they deserve to be left. They disobeyed his word. They deserve just a cold shoulder, being sent to Coventry. If you'll excuse the term, I don't think that Coventry existed in these, these times. That's what they deserved. Yeah. What did they get? The answer? And they heard the voice of the Lord God. This is Jesus. Not God. The Lord God. Walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, yes, this is Jesus walking round in a form that was visible in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Up to this time, the trees were a source of great blessing. They, you could eat of the fruit. You could eat as much as you wanted of that fruit. Now, they were to hide away from God. Do you know something? Modernists are going to have a terrible shock. They are going to go into heaven full of their good deeds. And the moment they catch a sight of God, they'll be looking for a tree behind which they can hide. For there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, the name of Jesus. There's a tree that we can all hide behind, and the tree's called Calvary. Calvary. It's the only tree possible that will give you salvation. Right. Verse 9. This is grace, if ever there was. And the Lord God called unto Adam. Now, Adam didn't speak to God. Eve didn't say a word to God. She'd had quite a conversation now with the serpent. Oh, not a word to God. But Jesus spoke to them. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. Why did he do it? Because he loved them. That's grace. That's grace. And what does he say? Oh, by the way, the Lord God called unto Adam. Not to Eve. Eve's not mentioned here at all. Why? A, because Adam had sinned. It was Adam that had to face up to his sin. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to know, Adam, why have you sinned? The other thing was, he was the head of Eve. And he was responsible for Eve. Even in Genesis, you have all the basics in the Bible, all laid out. Isn't that amazing? You see, people who believe this is just myth have never studied it. Every word is essential. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Uh, most of you will have the word art in italics, have you? If a word in your Bible is in italics, it means that it's not found in the Hebrew. Where thou? And in Hebrew, if you miss out the verb, it's very serious. You are emphasizing the point. Where thou? Where are you? Now, Jesus was omniscient. He knew where Adam was. But Adam didn't. And Jesus asked this question so that Adam might know that he was in fellowship before. He is no longer now in fellowship, not at all. 
verse 10. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I naked, and I hid myself. Hold on, I thought he was covered with fig leaves. So he was. But when God approaches, your fig leaves have no effect whatsoever. And Adam caught a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ. He realized all his good deeds. The ten hours he'd spent making that gorgeous loincloth had come to nothing. Because Jesus was so absolutely righteous, so completely righteous, that those fig leaves withered up and died on the spot. As far as the covering was concerned, they had no effect at all. And here was Adam, having spent time making the loincloth, he still said, I'm naked. I'm still naked. If you go into heaven, with 10,000 million good deeds, you will still be naked before God. You go in with a little yes to Jesus in your heart, and you're suddenly clothed with a white robe and a crown is stuck on your head. Oh, it's amazing. What's the difference? It's the difference between legalism and grace. And it's a fantastic difference. Right. Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I'm naked, and I hid myself. Verse 11. And Jesus said, Who told thee that thou naked? Who told thee that you were naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee, that thou shouldst not eat? Yes. And here now, we, this is going to be an evening of first, we come to the first occasion when the buck was passed. Right? Jesus interviews Adam. He says, Adam, who told you you were naked? How do you know? I, I didn't allow you to know the difference between good and evil. How come you know you're naked now? Have you eaten of the tree? Adam, what's he say? Verse 12. And the man said, the woman. <laughs> yes, it's her fault. It's all her fault. <laughs> really it is. Honestly, I had nothing to do. It was all her fault. By the way, if you've got a wife, you pass the buck to your wife. If you've got a hu husband, you pass the buck to your husband. If you've got children, it's their fault. Um, you know, you pass it on to anyone. The body, the fellowship, members of the body, you blame anyone you like. Why not? Everyone else does. You might as well do it. It's about time Christians faced up to the fact that the buck stops here. That if there's something wrong spiritually in your life, it's not the others. It's you that's wrong. Because if you're living in Jesus and living in fellowship, well, who can cut you off from the love of God? No one can at all. It's not your brother, nor your sister. It's you, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Don't pass the buck. Now, the first thing, Adam, oh, it's the woman. And, by the way, if you pass the buck to everyone, and they still haven't taken it, you can always blame God. And if you don't believe me, that's the next thing. Yes, what's he saying? The woman whom thou gavest to be with me. It's all your fault, God. I wouldn't have been in this mess if you hadn't given her to me. Yes, that's right. But God, 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 you know, why has God allowed this? How many times have we heard that? Yes? When Christians have been moving out of fellowship, they've been moving in their own minds, doing things according to their own way, and suddenly it all ends in disaster, and they say, God, why have you allowed this? It's unfair. That's right. The buck stops with you. If you get into a mess in your circumstances, guess whose fault it is? Yours. And no matter how sincere you are, believing God led you into it, I'm sorry, he did not. Don't pass the buck. Right. So, Adam, oh, it's the woman's fault, and you gave her to me, so it's really your fault. I hope you'll stand up for your responsibilities, <laughs> God. That's what he's saying. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So, what happens? Jesus now turns and interviews the woman. Guess what she does? She passes the buck as well. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. It's all his fault. And so it goes on. He, indeed, Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned. Adam was the person who allowed sin in to the human race. Now, in two weeks' time or so, I'll be dealing with the rest of this passage, and we'll be seeing the virgin birth coming out of it. Before we end tonight, three-quarters of an hour really isn't long enough, but there we are, it's just enough to chew on. Let's turn to two more verses. Um, turn, please, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to read selected verses because I'm going to do it all in a few weeks' time when we come on to the answer to all this. Verse 12, 
Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man... Who's that? That's Adam. That's Adam. Eve mentioned? No. It was Adam that sinned. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now notice that. One man, Adam. Through Adam, sin entered into the world. And because sin entered into the world, the next block that we've got, the penalty of sin, also entered. Death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Why? For all, and that includes you, have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And we'll be talking about redemption from the law at a later stage, and I'll be back to this. Now, it goes on, verse 17. For if, by one man's offence, death reigned by one... And then I'm going to end it there, because we'll be dealing with the answer a little later on. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. One Corinthians fifteen. One Corinthians fifteen, verse twenty-one. For since by man came death, that's Adam again. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. That's a little preview. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die. I'm going to stop it there because the answer is going to come on. All die. Yes, that's physical birth. You are born in Adam. Therefore, you are born dead. And the last of all, 1 Timothy, I wasn't going on to this, but I'll just mention it quickly, and I'll do a detailed Bible study of it later on. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. But Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The Bible says both are guilty, but the woman was deceived. The man, he deliberately and absolutely sinned. Tonight we've seen how the barrier between God and man was established. I'm going to analyse it later on. We're going to take each brick in turn, and I'm going to give you the answer to each brick as we come to it. Father, I praise you for tonight, Lord, and thank you, Lord, your word is so secure and so wonderful. Father, will you grant us understanding in the inner heart, Lord, that our lives might be uh, stable and satisfied on the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen.